the red, red, red barchetta. Yeah, red, yeah, yeah. It's it not is. barchetta. It's barchetta. No, it's barchetta. It's not barchetta. It's barchetta. Uh, you gotta it's say Italian. it like an Italian. Well, that is Italian. If you're reading well, it phonetically, it's not bar. It's spelled barchetta, but it's it's pronounced barchetta. Well, I speak English. I don't speak Italian. Okay. Well, you can speak stupid, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a good like Speak what stupid. a good argument <laughs> under <laughs> <laughs> Welcome back to Asinine Radio, a weekly podcast where we talk about music and well that's pretty much it. So uh let's go! This is Asinine Radio. This is the weekly music podcast for every week. We get into a different band, different artists, and we break down one of their records. We get into the music, the lyrics, how it was made, the artwork, the band, the band members, and everything in between. My name is Tyler, and way out there, hundreds of miles away, is Jeff. While you're listening, go to Spotify, go to Apple Podcasts, give us five stars and five stars only. Please go share with all your friends. Tell your friends about how great we are because we are the best. So uh, with all of that, all of the boring intro out of the way, uh, let's get into it. What are we doing today, Jeff? We were doing Rush's album, Moving Pictures. Moving Pictures. This is their seventh record. Wait, seventh fucking record? I don't know. This is a record from them. Um, it came out in 1981. Arguably their biggest record. You know, the, the heavy hitters on the record, Geddy Lee on bass and vocals, Alex Lifeson on guitar, Neil Peart on drums. That's all you need to know. That's all you need to know right there. Uh, just setting this up right now, we are not the biggest Rush fans in the world. Rush fans are kind of crazy, and they know so much about this band, every minute detail, so we're probably going to miss some stuff, but whatever, that's not why you're here. You're here to listen to us yammer away like I'm doing right now. So, Correct. Um, <laughs> let's get into our origin story. Um, what's yours, Jeff? Go. I'll also say, I know his name's not Neil Pert. It's Peart. Peart, whatever. Neil I don't Peart. fucking care. I'm going to call him Neil Pert because I've already been doing it for so long. I'm not going to change. <laughs> <laughs> oh, damn it, get off my lawn. So, oh, fuck man. off. Yeah, origin story, Rush. Here we go, here we go, here we go. I don't have I don't have a lot of fond memories of Rush. I just don't. Over the years, I, I've I've heard Tom Sawyer. That's about it. Like Tom Sawyer's really only been the Rush song that I've even like tolerated or, or entertained. In more mm-hmm. recent years, Probably in the past like five, ten years, I've I've gotten a little bit more into them, and when I say a little bit more into them, it's still not that much more into them. Um, honestly, the biggest the biggest thing that like got me more into Rush was was I Love You Man. Oh my the, god! The 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 movie um, movie yeah was that like yeah. that was like two thousand five years out of high school yeah yeah two thousand eight two thousand nine yeah like that. so like we were like twenty say twenty to twenty five yes. That was the movie that got me more into Rush because they were so excited about it. Therefore, I was so excited about it. I was like, oh, cool. Maybe Rush is pretty dope. Um, but then I listened to more Rush then. I was like, eh, I don't really fucking care. I, I just, it's kind of annoying. But like, I only kind of like got into like the 80s era of Rush and there's too much synth and I just don't really want to care. I don't want to hear synth, whatever. Mm-hmm. It wasn't until Crest of Steel. When I picked up Crest of Steel at uh, Uncle Aldo's Attic, that was when I was like, damn, I really want to do Rush now. I really want to get into Rush because this is nothing like anything else I've ever heard by them. 
And that was right because there's nothing else like they've ever done. So yeah, I don't know. Everybody the origin stories. It, it's not very exciting. Um, but I I don't think this band is very exciting either, to be honest. <laughs> <laughs> All right, my my origin story is uh, my mom. My mom really liked Rush. Uh, she she had moving pictures on CD, and we listened to this record constantly. Um, she listened to some of the 80s stuff, but I didn't, even as a kid, I didn't really like it. Uh, but really moving pictures when I was, fuck, I don't even know, as far back as I can remember, my mom listening to moving pictures. And, um, you know, I, I actually took her to see Rush on their, on their farewell tour. I believe that was in 2013, 2014. I don't remember. Whenever that farewell tour was, uh, I took her to that. And, uh, the first time I had ever seen Rush, she had seen them a few times back in the seventies and eight or I believe maybe just eighties. She had seen them. Um, and yeah, so, so that, that's my origin story is, is my mom and the album of the week moving pictures, which like I said, is arguably their, their, their biggest, their biggest album. I think it is their biggest album, actually their most successful album. You know, the big bangers being Tom Sawyer and limelight are, I mean, those are really their, their biggest hits. And, um, so yeah, let's, let's get into our initial thoughts on moving pictures and if we have any stinkers on it, and then we'll jump into our our biggest bangers, our, our one, two, three, four, five Bs. So, uh, so what do you got, Jeff? Oh, you you always say go. When you don't say go, I just sit here. I don't know. What, I don't know what you want me to do when you, if you don't say go. But yeah, Moving Pictures is their biggest album, and it's crazy because if you, you know, all information should be taken from Wikipedia anyway. But Moving Pictures didn't even sell, even to this day, over 5 million copies. And we're talking like No Doubt's fucking Tragic Kingdom sold 10 million. That's that's nuts. Right? Yeah. Isn't that crazy? I know. Right? It, it is. Ugh, but they're guys. they're almost as influential as, as bands who have sold 20 million records, you know? They really are a, a very, very influential band in the prog scene, in the rock scene in general. Um, people always cite Rush as, as being an influence, so... It's pretty rad. I feel like okay. Let me let me let me throw some. This whole episode is going to be uh, why I, I don't think Rush is as great as as people pine over them. I, I guess I should say as, as Rush fans pine over them. Yes, they yes. are always mentioned as an influence, but I rarely see them mentioned as the influence. They're always okay, saying like, "Oh, weird. I'm influenced by this band, this band, Rush." Yeah, they're always mentioned up there, but they're not the main influence for a lot of like the bigger bigger acts. Um, I, 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 I really focus on Neil this week and, and really trying to get a, soak it all in as to why people think he's the greatest. And after this week, I will say that, um, he's, he's, uh, he's top three, dude. He's without even, yeah, he's without even best. like questioning, he's, he's top three drummers of all time. He's, he's, he's unreal. He is unfucking real. And I think there's, I kind of boiled it down to four parts. Of Neil, like two of them are practical, and then the other two are kind of like more existential. The two, I, what, what was the question you even asked me? I asked you what the uh, what your <laughs> what your initial thoughts are on moving pictures. Okay, <laughs> but it's fine. So, I mean, I'm gonna do what I want. What the pod's so, about, yeah, man. Yeah, we're yeah, just go. There's, for there's it. no, there's no. What do you call it? no regulations or uh, no no constraints? No, what do you? No restrictions. Restrictions. Wow. No restrictions. All the and we've been doing the pod for seven years now. Had a thesaurus there and they use all the words except for that one. <laughs> so like four things. Um, so two the the two like practical things. One is he likes to cascade the toms, right? Yes. 
fucking loves it. <laughs> that's what that's like, dude. That's like his bread and butter right there. That's, that's his like go-to for sure. He loves it. The other thing is his groove on the ride. His whatever whatever mm-hmm. he wants to do on that ride that or whatever that was just the generic thing that I just did with my mouth. That was very yeah. He does a lot of things on the fucking ride, and it's all it's all gold. It's all gold. He loves he loves the bell. The bell on that ride. He loves to hit that bell. That it, that crisp ting. Ooh, he's, and he knows he knows when so to to it. hit it hard, and he knows when to quiet it down and shut the fuck up. So so nuance to him playing the drums is is is, is incredible. Um, the other two things are a little more uh, extracurriculars, but his his ability to always better himself. He he got. He embraced like the electronic sound. I know like either of us don't really like the electronic drum set or anything like that, but what came with the electronic drum set was also more percussion instruments. And some of the yeah. later albums and in this one too, like we we're hearing him play not just a drum kit, but we're hearing him like he's like that guy that played at Disneyland with all the fucking gongs and cymbals <laughs> and all this other uh, weird shit behind him. Not he's Michael like the, on the road. Not Michael on the road. I know. I was going to say Michael on the road, but I know it's not Michael <laughs> on the road. I still believe it's Which Michael we, on we the had, road. But. Dude, <laughs> what episode was that? Like maybe a year or two ago, we were talking about Michael on the road and we had, we, it was like a half hour long discussion uh, on who Michael I, on the road was at downtown Disney. Super hyper local. And uh, we never figured it out. I mean, I knew who it was. But you think we couldn't not find Michael anything about him online. Friend of the pod, Ryan, also said it was not Michael on the road. Yes. I am still 100% convinced, and I would bet money that it was Michael on the road. Michael on the road was the guy with the guitar, and he sang to a backing track. He had a big banner behind him that said Michael on the road. His, like, his wife was always selling all this merch, his CDs, all that shit. The person you're talking about, the drummer, was somebody completely different. And but he we always looked, stood we tried up, looking it and up. he always had a table out, and his wife or some lady was always selling his shit. That that I don't remember that part, but yeah, he had a lot of percussive instruments, a drum set, everything. He was a percussionist, and he would also play in downtown Disney. And I remember we tried looking it up too, but we could not find anything about him. It's too. He's it's completely too lost the time. Yeah, completely lost the time. Yeah, and we never bought a CD from him, so that's why we never saw us. Um, <laughs> but yeah, Neil. I think Neil. I think what makes Neil so great at the drums is that he never he got good at one thing. And then stopped doing it and then like, like reached out and did something else and then got great at that and then stopped doing it. And then when he went into the electronic drum set, he's like the best electronic drum set like person that I've ever heard. Like even like the little no, cast, like, do 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 do. Like you hear Phil Collins at the, in the air the night where it's do 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 right? But he's like, yeah. like dude, he does he, his normal he, Neil he stuff. He fucking slays it. Yeah. He slays it, but then he adds all these other like little nuanced fucking percussive instruments. So whatever. I think Neil was always getting better. He was always trying to push himself to be a better drummer, and it never came off as pretentious. Never. Yeah, and and definitely in the eighties, which we talked about, you know, on on the rankings episode, especially in the eighties, early nineties, he played more to the song rather than churching everything up, like he was doing in the seventies. Um, but that just shows like it wasn't him being lazy. It wasn't him. It wasn't that. It was just he. He. He just changed his style and and he progressed. That's what a good a good musician does is they progress. They don't do the same thing over and over and over again. Um, so, best, so yeah, I mean, yeah, Neil is fantastic. The best way I can compare how how much I respect Neil is by comparing him to Travis Barker. When okay. Travis Barker sees the opportunity to 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 insert a fill to insert anything that that can make people look at him. He does it, and it sounds like it. 
But when you think about like Rush's songs, there's very little there's very little songs where there's actual like silence. Neil's busy, dude. He's always doing shit. But you don't really notice it. You don't really notice it because he's playing to the fucking song. So like how is it that Mm -hmm. Travis can't fucking get his head around that? Like take a page out of Neil's book. Dude, Neil never stops fucking he never shuts the fuck up. He's constantly playing. (laughs) Yes. But you're never mad. Right? Like it's it's unreal. Yeah, it's but it's also because he's not a one-trick pony. He he does, his kid is so enormous that he he can do he could vary up the styles. He could vary up the the really the, the variations uh, of what he's playing because he has so many pieces on his kit. Travis Barker has a five-piece kit, very very small, very minimalistic. So he can only do so many things, and it's always something loud. Travis is not a dynamic player at at all. He's an amazing player. He's great at what he does. But he's not dynamic. He's he can't drop into a jazz groove very easily. That's just not his thing, and that's not a bad thing. I'm not dissing the guy, but he's he does one thing really really well. Neil, I, on I the just, other hand, I, can do so many fucking things. He's just such a virtuoso. He was. really doesn't ever shut the hell up. He never he stops playing. But and he I like, knows. I like, but I like he knows watching. the nuance. He has the nuance. I like watching him play because he can hit that left hand on like the on the on the on the hi hat and then groove with his right hand and his right hand will go off on toms and snares and other cymbals and then he'll switch to where the groove is now on the right hand on the like the crash or the ride and his left hand is now hitting toms and snares and other cymbals. It's like, dude, the way he like just switches back and forth and back and forth and yeah, he has his massive kit, but he uses every single piece of that fucking thing. And then when you yeah, see him. Right. Cause I watched I watched a lot of live videos and I watched this like really bootleg documentary too because it was a lot of like focus on Neil, and you watch him play like these live shows, and and at some point you'll be like, well, he never hits that little tiny symbol, and then for like half a song he'll just he'll incorporate that little tiny like China symbol into like most of the song, <laughs> and then never use yeah. it again, but he'll focus so fucking much on that like forty five second part, and like <laughs> it should be annoying and it should be overpowering in the song because it's so like aggressive and abrasive, but it's. It's not like he's both. Yeah, he both like like hits the shit really hard and is very annoying, but also kind of dainty. It's unreal. But I think it. I mean, it's weird too because every or all three members of this band, on, from a from an instrument standpoint, you know, the guitar, bass, drums, they're all they all do pretty intricate things. Especially Getty. Getty and Neil are the two most intricate players, and that's not a diss to Alex, because Alex is an amazing guitar player. But he doesn't. He doesn't church things up the same way those guys do. He, he's not as flashy of a player as them. And I don't know what my point was, but <laughs> maybe it's just point, the, dude. maybe maybe just like the busyness of, of everybody else kind of makes it so so it, it makes it so Neil doesn't stand out as much because everybody's really fucking busy. I mean, they really really are, especially Getty, especially when you throw yeah. the synths in there too, because the synths they're just they're. Getty is not a good keyboard player. I, I mean, when you throw him up against um, what's his name and yes, uh, Rick Wakeman. Rick Wakeman, yeah, he, he he doesn't stand a chance against him. Like he's not a great keyboard player. He's a great fucking he ne- bass and he player. Never, and he never got better. That's no, he never did. Irritating. He did. The, he did the same thing all through the eighties and nineties. He did it. He did, all he does he did is fill up space. Exactly. I mean, yeah, you can argue the stuff he does in Tom Sawyer is catchy. But it's not intricate. It's not. That's the catchiest he's not, ever done. That's the best he's what? ever done. That's the best keyboard playing he's ever done. Yeah. Agreed. Agreed. It is. But it's it's very, it's very min. It's still very minimalistic. It's still very amateur. 
that 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 keyboard riff in Tom Sawyer is very fucking amateur, especially when you throw it up to somebody like Rick Wakeman and what he did with Yes was just just the song <laughs> just everything on Fragile is just blows blows Getty's keyboard playing out of the water. It's not even I mean fair. like Rick Wakeman's a piano player. He's he's, he's a true, classically he trained piano. Like the dude plays fucking Mozart in his in his bathtub probably because he's just that's what he does. Kitty's like a bass player. I think that just picked up the synth because they wanted to add nuance to their music. That's exactly what it is. So that's exactly it's, you what know, it is. yeah. And it's a shame because he's such an incredible bass, like truly an incredible bass player. One of the one of the best ones. One of the yeah, best players honestly, of I've, all time. I've I've never I've never like latched onto his bass playing because for one, um, I hate the fucking synth. And I hate the way that he plays it because he's shit at it. And two, his vocals get annoying. His vocals get annoying. I don't care. They're fucking annoying. They're nasally. They're high pitched. And I'm not, if I'm not listening to pop punk, I don't want to listen to it. I don't want to hear it. <laughs> and and he's fucking ugly. I, I don't care. Yeah, he's ugly. He's tough to I don't want to look at him. Tough fucking, to look the nose at. the size of a Volkswagen. I don't want to fucking look at him. He's ugly. Okay. <laughs> okay. Oh man, Canada season is starting off strong. Yeah. And um, the fourth thing, hold on. Oh, I had one oh. more thing. This is because this will lead into the initial thoughts, and we haven't hit that yet. We're still in the infancy stage of our pod here. The fourth thing is Neil's songwriting. His songwriting, which I was, yeah, uh, which he's not even credited as a songwriter. Which well, is like lyricist, I should say, lyricist, specifically lyricist, okay. lyricist. I I think he's I think he's fucking great. Yeah, but I just, think he's a great just lyricist. basing off of what I like, kind of skim through, and then getting deeper into moving pictures i was like holy shit dude you you're a smart dude like this is this is like a like a like a philosophy professor at a college who had now like decided to become a really great drummer and then writing lyrics like the guy was well read (laughs) he knew a lot of shit about like poetry about like classical literature like he's just a very very smart guy and his lyrics show it and like god damn he was a good lyricist and he takes his time like like it's what what I thought was so cool about this band is like everybody know everybody knew their role. It's like okay, we're gonna record a record. Getty and Alex are gonna go do their thing, write the music. Neil, go write the lyrics. That's what you have to do, and then we'll convene. We'll see how the lyrics match up with the music, and then we'll go from there. And I thought that was so cool how they how they incorporated the lyrics and they 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 essentially I don't want to say that they wrote songs around the lyrics, but they. How how did I, how do I put it? They they took the lyrics into consideration in in the context of the entire song, which was never really done. It's always like, okay, let's do the music and then write the melody around the music, and then the lyrics are essentially not throwaway, but they're they're the last thing to add to the entire process. But the lyrics are a part of the actual song and the structures of the song, and that's what makes them such a great prog rock band. Is that they build this? They, everything is so intertwined. And you could hear it in in the progier songs and in, in the Cygnus and in Cygnus and in twenty one twelve, you can hear that, you could hear that 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 melding of uh, of lyrics and music. It's it's incredible, incredible songwriting. It is. And it's I, a shame. I, I love, it's a shame he doesn't get more credit. Lyrics. I love his lyrics. And yeah, we talk like there's a lot you know singers who don't write lyrics and, and the Sabbath lyrics are cool and and you know even like uh, Fallout Boys, he you know, like the lyrics. Iron Maiden, even he didn't write the lyrics, but like, dude, Neil's lyrics, Neil's lyrics are the shit. Like, I I love them. I absolutely love them. I, I adore they them. Great. They were poetic. 
they they told stories they were they were introspective they were they were accessible it it, it was amazing it was absolutely and what, amazing what, and you know honestly props to getty because in the beginning once neil joined the band he realized oh my god I don't like writing lyrics. Neil is amazing at this. Let's have Neil write the lyrics. Like I, let me focus on the music aspect of it and let Neil do what he does, not what he does best, but one of his really strong suits in writing the lyrics. And he just let him do it. Like look at any other front man wanting to write lyrics and sing. Like they would never give up the lyric part of it. I mean, outside of, you know, your Sabbath and, 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 and Iron Maiden, like most bands aren't going to oh, most other singers aren't going to give up the lyric part of it because that's part of the, what they do. But yeah. I just I just I love how he set his ego aside and let Neil do that. I th- I think that's so fucking rad. It's but, <laughs> dude, this 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 band is this band is something else. Like at 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 their best this band is is great and mind-blowing and amazing and at their worst it's just a tired dad rock cover band. <laughs> So like there's there's highs and lows to this thing that even on this album there's highs and lows so mm-hmm. I don't know. Neil's I great. mean this is we we talked about in the rankings episode. There are some records that are you know so top heavy like side A is just so perfect or side B is so perfect and then the other side just really kind of lacks um, because just one one part is so much better than the other and I feel like that's how this record is side A Tom Sawyer Red Barchetta Y Y Z Limelight just fucking solid banger after banger side b the camera eye witch hunt and vital signs they're fine the songs are good um but i mean do you do we really need, need to listen to side b no honestly we don't need to listen to side b you don't need um, all of side a i mean there's really only one song on there's only one i don't know do we just want to get into the bangers or do we have any stinkers on this no. record no okay I don't have I, a stinker no. either. I, I have nothing that was even close to being a stinker, but it was really just me like debating, like, is this really a banger though? Like, no, it's just not. I love this. I love this part. I like what you did with it, but it's, this is not a banger. Yeah. We can run through the side B first and then really focus on side A. That's, I'm, I'm yeah, fine with that. I'm, I'm fine with that too. Um, so yeah, the, the camera eye opens up side B. This is split into two parts, the New York first half and then London in the second half. This song musically, I just think it's a run of the mill ten minute or eleven minute prog song, but it doesn't really go anywhere for me. It's the lyrics that I really like about this song. But musically one, it's lackluster, I feel. This one felt like an eleven minute fucking song. Like it was this, <laughs> it drags. this mo- Yeah, this motherfucker was long. What I really liked about this was was Alex. His his like clunky approach to that made that ding 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 ding. There's there's no nuance to it. It's it's yeah. amateur. It's it's he's super fucking loud in the mix. It sounds like a kid who just learned how to play the guitar and he's playing out his first riff with the band. And it's just <laughs> like, wow, man, like I know you're great. We know you're great. I like that you did that. I respect that. But that's cool. Right? Yeah. I don't know. But the the guitar lead really dri- is the only thing that drives this song. Um the song starts out with that like 2001 space odyssey kind of synth you know just kind of building up and then it's not until three and a half minutes in where you get the the i guess the verse the first verse drops and then you get just like typical poppy happy getty lee singing and it's just like oh my gosh i've heard this like like what alex was doing in that build-up could have been so much better had it not gone into that that poppy element of the of the verses 
Um, but really, yeah, I mean, Alex, I guess Alex is the best part musically on here. Yeah, I, I, I think so, too. It's just I, I like I like the way he played that main riff. I just think it's amateur. Yeah, it, fucking amateur. And I love that. Yeah. And then like yeah, kind of like halfway th- halfway through, it kind of drops into like a, not a tempo change, but it, it drops into it just changes direction. You know, it's it's when Neil drops into that kind of like that offbeat kind of disco beat thing he does for no fucking reason. And it only lasts for like a minute and then it just cycles through everything again. It's this seems like, I guess, a cookie cutter prog song. It's not bad by any means, but it's just after coming off of side A, like, what is this? What is this? We've seen you do so much better in such a short in, in a shorter amount of time. So. It's really about like I can't fucking believe you got away with this long of a song and like <laughs> I know and like this is what you put out like really like we've heard like like Strangiato we've heard twenty one twelve we've heard Cygnus like this is what you fucking do it's like you could cut out most of that intro wow. you can cut out some some other bits and then you could really get this down into like a five minute song and it would have been way better as a five minute song it would have been way way better maybe yes. six minutes. But that, I mean, three and a half minutes before you even hit the, that, that first verse, which is fine. Like, I understand, you know, that that's how a prog song is. If you, but if you don't have a strong, strong intro into that first verse, it's just, it's tiresome. And that's what this, this song can be very, very tiresome. Yes. It's too long. Yeah. Too long. Um, Lyrically though, I do like the lyrics. Um, Like I was saying, it's split into two parts only really essentially split by a chorus. Um, the first half is about New York. Second half is about London. And it's really just Neil's view on what he sees the common people. They're, the common people's like, I guess common people's the ba- a bad way to say it. But or just like the everyday like life. People. The, the everyday life of New Yorkers, the everyday life of of people, in Lo- of Londoners, I guess you can call them, right? Yeah. But Linders. Um, and just kind of like how he views them in their everyday, it's his view of their everyday life. And I thought that was just a, it was a cool concept and the way he, he describes it, I thought was really, was really cool. It was really, yeah. really cool. This, just, this, this reminded me, we, we've talked about this before and I had to read Google it, but there was this bit on Nickelodeon called the space between Mr. Freer's ears. Oh, I love was, that. Yes, it was it was that guy that would just listen in the New York, and he would just hear like a footstep, and that footstep would become like the bass beat, and then he would hear like a bus drive by, and that bus would become like this, and it would all like it would all come together to where it was this orchestra of just like New York City sounds, and they actually recorded New York City sounds to make like a song, and then like at the end of it, it would just it would just dissipate and gone, and then he would just go about his day, and like that's what this this song reminded me of. It was just Neil. Inter- actually it wasn't so much as like Neil interacting with the city but like how the city interacted with Neil and, and how he walked through these cities like soaking in the nuance of the day to day life and then putting that into musical terms yeah and the way he described New York was like a very cold very cold like the people were cold the just everything was just very just very unnatural but he but like the way he described London was still kind of cold but it was like it was a little bit I don't know it you just have to read through the lyrics to really kind of, kind of get what I'm trying to yeah. get, tr- trying to point out here. But it makes sense. I mean, I've never been to New York or London, but, um, but I get it. Just London, just its portrayal of in in the media and how people talk about each of these cities. Like, I get it. I I don't know. 
get it. Well, like especially New York, and 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 like New York is romanticized in a way that's, I don't know, like 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 it's it's always the 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 topic of of conversation wherever you want to go visit. But it's a shithole. It's a fucking shithole. <laughs> you know, like this is not like most other big of. cities. Yeah. Yeah. But like New York, even more so because it's so fucking expensive. Maybe like Frisco is another one too. But like nobody romanticizes Frisco. Frisco is a shit. Everybody knows it. New York is like like <laughs> it's it's like a beacon of hope for travelers for immigrants coming to America. But yeah. it's garbage. Like really, like, come on. I Ugh. mean, you've been a few times, so I mean, I I trust your opinion. I would never go back there. I have no desire to go. Tammy wants to go. She's always wanted to go to, go to New York. And I just, just go I once. always tell her like, go once, call today. I've, I just, I've told her like, I have almost zero desire to go there. I just don't, it just seems gross. And she's like, I love cities. I love how gross it is. Like, why do you like that? Like, she loves LA. She loves downtown LA. I don't know why. New York's it, it, a different type of gross. So like, like it's just, uh, it's just, it's the worst. <laughs> It's I the fucking worst. hate LA too. <laughs> At least and anybody LA who's like ever been to LA, and shit and it's fucking warm weather and it's nice. Oh, New York is yeah, hot in the summer and cold in the winter. Fuck that place. <laughs> I don't want to live. I don't want to yeah. live anywhere where it snows in the winter and then gets like over a hundred degrees in the summer and humid. Fuck that. Okay, that's fair. Pass. That's fair. All right, let's move on to uh, to witch hunt. What do you have on this one? Well, that was a, that was a that was a spicy meatball right there. That was a good lime. I thought you were gonna go longer, so I took a little bite of a lime. No, <laughs> you get the little no. like gleek stuff in the the back of your your throat, like next to your jaw in the bottom. Yeah. Oh yeah, that feeling. Yeah, uh, that so much so much gleek right now. Witch hunt. This one. Uh, this one starts off intense. I like I like Neil's tom tone. It's loud. It's deep. It's it's it matches this this song perfectly. It's just a, uh, I feel like this song is just a goof off session for Neil to flex his vast array of percussive like parts on his <laughs> drum kit. That's, yeah. that's really what this song revolves around. And then like for him to write lyrics accordingly and the lyrics are cool, but, um, I don't know. They're a little low hanging fruit. Easy, I guess. Yeah. It's, I mean, it's a, it's a f- almost five minute song. The last two songs, this and vital signs are four minutes and 45 seconds, I, I believe. And, um, and it's just, I feel like they're just here to to make a full length record. Really, it, it's just there's nothing. There's nothing here. There's really not. It's it's not bad. It's good filler. Let's just say that it's good filler. Yeah. And I agree with you. It's 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 a lot of it's for Neil to kind of to play around on his kit. And you hear some cowbell on here. There's some some wonky shit on here. Um, and and apparently this is a part of a. This is the first of four songs that that ended up becoming that became the what's called the Fear series for for uh, Rush fans, and I don't know. It's just most of the songs are from this is part, albums. Like, this is like part two or part three. So I mean, part one. I know it's like it, the second or third part. So that just shows me like <laughs> like they wrote other songs and maybe this song kind of sucked and they're like, oh, but I like kind of what we did there. Let's expand on that. Like afterthought, like can't hey, do just do it right the first time or, or fuck off. Yeah, it's just it's whatever. This is my least um, favorite song I, on the album, like easily, hands down. Yeah, this is this is this is bottom bottom tier for me. Um and and but what what I liked about this one, so so it starts out with um kind of the ambient chatter of people and and this is they actually Neil, I believe it was Neil. He went out and actually recorded or they recorded No, it was Alex Lyson. He went out and recorded um yeah. people actually talking outside of the studio um like in the middle of December in the cold. 
and you, you can never really hear what people are saying, but it's just indistinct chatter. Um, and then so you hear that the chimes come in <laughs> once again, the chimes come in. There's a small little synth buildup guitar fades in, but just the, when it finally does drop, it's a fucking basic ass riff and, and whatever. <laughs> I will say like, I've never heard somebody use like the phrasing indistinct chatter outside of watching like, like closed <laughs> captioning on TV where like, something's happening and it says indistinct chat. I, I swear, dude, I've never heard but anybody that's what say it that is. in real life. No, that's exactly what it is. <laughs> I've just never, I've never heard anybody say it in real life. I've read it a thousand uh, times. You, like any hotel yeah. you've ever been to, the, you know, the closed captioning is always on. I've just never heard anybody <laughs> say it. That's good. Oh my God. So what do you have lyrically on this one? This one was cool, right? Like mom mentality, like the human condition deteriorating and and showing the ugly side of our species. Once enough of us get together um, with a loose concept of what we want. And honestly, honestly, I know we use like genius lyrics to like, kind of like, like break things down. But when I, I I just kind of like Google lyrics and then on the Google page, before we even click on genius, the Google page will just show you the lyrics yeah, and I, like to, I like to read those as I listen to the song for the first time. And like it always reminded me of the scene from Men in Black with, with Tommy Lee Jones and Will Smith where Will Smith said something about like people are, are you, like, you can trust people. People are smart. And Tommy Lee Jones was like, no, man, like a person is, is smart. A person is good. People are dumb, panicking, stupid. And then fucking genius. Some, somebody stole it. Somebody put it in there. Somebody embedded <laughs> the clip. I was like, hell yeah. <laughs> really? I didn't even. But like that. Do I that, don't go that, that deep because sometimes like the, the annotations are just bullshit. So I, I just, they're fucking wild and, and, and clearly it's just somebody being an asshole. But yeah, I've, I've, I've always loved that scene. I, I've always, I've always thought that was like, yeah, that's like a perfect description of like the person versus the people is a person mm-hmm. is smart and calculated and, and people are just dumb as fuck. And it's, yeah, it's true. I, I mean, you nailed it. I, I've honestly have nothing more to add to the lyrics on, on this, on this song. You nailed it. Um. So then let's get into Vital Signs, the so the last of the worst songs, vital um, the filler songs. Uh, so apparently Getty <laughs> Getty claims that this song was written in five minutes. I mean, do you really believe that? Come on. I mean, the song sucks. So yeah. I mean, it, but still, come on. <laughs> it's it's still more complex of a song to write in five minutes. But anyway, yeah. It, so it kind of starts out with that cool little synth thing. Simple Dude, it sounds riff. like a fucking Miami Vice car chase shit. Like, that's what it fucking sounds like. But did like. you hear a lot of Stranger Things too? I mean, obviously yeah, Stranger Things came out 40 years later, 30 years later. But, but that's that's what that's what that vibe is. That vibe is like like a Miami Vice kind of like fucking yeah. like, like purples and, 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 you know, reds and pinks and, and neon signs and shit like that. That's what it sounds like. It's dumb. <laughs> but it yeah. does find itself nicely. That bass line, dude, that bass line fucking rips. It's that a good. solid. And I don't know what effect he's using on that on that bass, but it has a very elect, elect, electronic, electronic, <laughs> a very electronic um, uh, feel to it or sound to it. So I, I I like I like that part of it, but there's still vocally there's this '80s thing. I don't know what kind of effect he's running his voice through, but I don't like it. It's too it's too '80s and and. And you also also Neil starts with a he doesn't start but he plays an electronic kit during part a part of the song too and it just sounds ugh, just too cheesy way too cheesy for me so yeah vital right. signs the last song whatever. sounds dumb who cares <sighs> yeah I don't know I I, I just want to get to the good stuff honestly. let's get to the good stuff <laughs> I, right. I I only have three bangers from this album 
I got I got four, but which is your lowest banger? The red, the red, red barchetta. barchetta. Yeah, red. Yeah, yeah. It's it not is. barchetta. It's barchetta. No, it's barchetta. It's not barchetta. It's barchetta. Uh, you gotta say Italian. it like an Italian. Well, that is Italian. If you're reading well, it phonetically, it's not bar. It's spelled barchetta, but it's it's pronounced barchetta. Well, I speak English. I don't speak Italian. Okay. Well, you can speak stupid, so that's fine. <laughs> <laughs> What a, what a good like Speaks what a stupid. good argument ender. Huh? <laughs> <laughs> like, what do you say to that? Like, okay, well, like, yeah, right, that was that was fun. <laughs> you speak oh stupid, <laughs> <laughs> and like that in itself child. just sounds so fucking stupid too. Oh what my a god, fucking child, good. Holy shit. Okay, so then what is your what's your one B? Number one banger. Are we are we are we just completely done with Red Barquetta? Well, no, because I thought we were going to go through our our. Okay, well, we'll we'll talk about okay Red because that, that's Barchetta. your four that's your four B. It yeah, is my four B. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah, it's it's let's my four B. Let's get all the bad out of the way. Then we'll go to the good. <laughs> it's not okay. Musically, it's fine. The lyrics, I fucking love. I love the lyrics of Red yes, Barchetta. Correct. Barchetta. Okay, so Barchetta, but that's fine. Barchetta. Keep it up. Keep it up. Keep it up, it's just it, it's it's unfortunate that it's wedged in between Tom Sawyer and YYZ. It's, you know, yeah, like, that's true, dude. You had no chance. You had no chance. What were you thinking? <laughs> I this, know. The, the, like the groove is cool. When everybody finally comes, it's not, actually not pronounced YYZ either. It's YYZ, apparently. Um, mm. Stupid, uh, dude. Alex is playing those kind of like harmonic sounding notes, whatever those things are. Yeah. Those are cool. I like when Getty does those excited kind of vocals where he gets a little diaphragmy, like rah, like fly by night man. When he's doing those things, that's cool. <laughs> um, but yeah, my favorite part of this air is the fucking is the lyrics. Yeah, it really is. These are amazing. These are so cool. Well, so so just kind of kind of do, going going back to the music. Really, the, the highlight to me is that transition into the bridge from Neil. It's it's so heavy, it's so insane, but he keeps it so tight and locked in with with Getty and Alex. It's it's just remarkable. I mean, that, that's the only only word I could use to describe it. That transition is fucking perfect. Um, also, like the guitar the bridge, solo. Though? The bridge is fine. The solo I, I really like. Ugh, hate the bridge. The solo I like though. The the, the effect the he has on. The effect he has on his guitar, and then Getty's bass is so thick during that part; it sounds so fucking good. And it's just classic um, three-piece rush. Yeah, it, yeah, it is. It is, and like you said, it's a shame it's it's wedged in between <laughs> Tom Sawyer and and YYZ. YYZ, YYZ, whatever. Red Barchetta, whatever. Who cares? Barchetta. But I, it's cool too because this song, the song kind of ends the same way it starts, so you could you could really just put this on a loop and barely hear that hear it start over so I, I i do like that how it starts and ends yeah but um but musically i i think it's it's a little bit lackluster in the context of side a so yeah that's why it's my that's why it's my 4b so so let's get into the lyrics so this was, the, his lyrics are based off of a short story called a nice morning drive by richard foster i read the short story and obviously i read the lyrics and um it's cool man i really love the lyrics it's on this super one. cool yeah yeah, it's it's fucking rad. And like the the red barqueta is based on this like specific like like fifties era kind of like James Bond looking Ferrari. You looked and it it's up too. Fucking rad. Yeah. Yeah. Of course it's I like did. some like old ass roadster and shit. It's fucking yeah. Cool. 
Yeah. It looks it looks like some shit like James Dean would have would have driven like off the cliff and rebel without a cause. It's fucking rad. It's Which is cool. an overrated movie, by the way. Well, hold on there, dude. I don't uh, think it's it overrated is, because people don't talk about it that often anymore. I think it's adequately rated, and that that car scene is just that's the bee's knees. I, I also think knees. James Dean is wildly wildly overrated. No one thinks he's no one no one thinks he's like the great actor. People think he's fucking. He's, he was hot, bro. He was cute. That was it. That that's the only yeah. thing he had for him. He was a good looking. That's dude. all he is. He's a hard. Otherwise, throw. Devil Without a Cause is not that great of a movie, and he's not a good actor. Uh, wrong and <laughs> fair. <laughs> it's true, man. It's true. Rebel Without a Cause is fucking amazing, and no, he's yeah. not a great actor. He's just, he was good looking. He was like the, yeah. he was like Josh Hartnett of the time. So you throw it to some. <laughs> Because like really like Josh Hart did like Pearl Harbor and stuff like people like pined over Josh Hart people still do and I just don't. Yeah, I don't you could you could have you could have done Brad Pitt, but Brad Pitt like plays in like Josh really good Hartnett. movies. Josh Hartnett kind of just Josh like plays Hartnett. in Chud. He's just like what is what is what is, what is Josh Hartnett done? Okay, we're, but we're talking about you know how good looking somebody is. We're not talking about like the movies. No, I'm in. talking about how good looks how good looking <sighs> somebody is based just off of their looks, okay. not off their merit. Brad Pitt's got merit. He's got range. He does, yeah, he does. He's got he range. Does. Brad he Pitt's does. got range. I have not seen range from Josh Hartnett. 40, uh, 40 Days, 40 Nights? You didn't like that one? 30 Days of Night? Is that what you're talking about? No. 40, uh, 40, 40, 40 days, days and 40 Nights is Harrison Ford. No, it's um, no, it's it's Josh Hartnett, too. It's the one where, where he... No, it, it's Harrison Ford's not in it. It's like a like a rom com where he's he he vows not to have sex for forty days. Oh yeah, and then he, and then he meets the he meets this like because he he just got got dumped by his girlfriend, so he meets um what's her name who I was in love with name? growing up. I fucking loved her. Um, fucking Stone shit. Jocelyn Stone. No, what's her fucking no. name? No, oh, I can't remember her name, but she's. I mean, I love. She was in a Knight's Tale. Yeah, she was beautiful. But but yeah, so he falls in love with her. But then he he vowed the forty days to not have sex. And then like on the last day, his ex girlfriend comes back, and then she rapes him, and then he blows his load. And then you know, he didn't he didn't his forty days didn't work. What's her name? Jocelyn. It's Jocelyn something. Shannon Shannon Sossum. There we go. Yeah. Yeah. Damn. Kiss Kiss Bang Bang too. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I, I was. I loved one. her. That was up. a good one. That was a, that was a good movie. movie. Yeah. That was a good movie. It's a good movie of its time. Like, like she's all that. It's good. Um, and then what's the one with? Um, uh, oh my God! What are the two? The Joker. What's his name? Heath Ledger and Heath Ledger. Night's Tale. Well, not a night. Well, that that one is of its time as well. But no, the 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 rom com, the Ten Things I Hate About You. Oh yeah, it's all kind of oh, it's all kind of lumped so into good. that. Yeah. I mean that one. That one's very. That that, that one's is a bunch of grown ass adults playing like high schoolers. At least like the forties and forty nights. But like like forties and forty nights never felt like if you. I haven't watched it recently actually. So I, I, I did. Know I watched it like up. a year ago. But like, does it hold up or is it kind of no. just like, yeah, this is fucking weird. Okay. It's fucking. Oh. It's it's. It's just a weak movie. It's a weak movie, and ev- anything I liked about it is just held in nostalgia. That's really what it, what it is. Oh, and then, okay, kind of off topic too. I went back and watched Van Wilder last week. Dude, that movie is not good. <laughs> it's not good. I, I I used to really, really dig that movie when I was when we were teenagers, but that has not aged well. And and Ryan Reynolds is so annoying. He's I would, not I would, funny. <laughs> I would think that movie's probably like borderline kind of like rapey at this point. Oh, dude, it's, there's some like... 
there's shit in that movie that would not fly nowadays. Yeah, okay, yeah. I, I've not seen that one either since like high school. I think it's on, I think I watched it on Prime. I think it was on Amazon Prime. But uh, yeah, it's it does not hold up at all. I mean, you getting the deep cuts there on Friday night and stuff, huh? But Tara Reid, Tara Reid in it, I mean, she was just a fucking babe back then, right? Tara Reid was like that era of, of trash. <laughs> but she, but she was like, she was like the girl, like oh man, she's hot. But then looking back, dude, she was not that hot. She was not not good looking. But yeah, those movies are all. Most of the, all those movies of that era were yeah. terrible. They were pretty much not all very bad. Good. Well, I, I like ten things I hate about you. Is still solid. It's still fun. It's just they're grown ass adults playing kids, and that's just <laughs> playing dumb. kids. Yeah, or American Pie. <laughs> Heath Ledger's supposed to be like like the, like the senior in high school who's a bad boy. Like, dude's a grown ass man. I know. <laughs> like, because just because he can't grow facial hair does not mean he's not a grown ass man. <laughs> I know. So yeah, whatever. Fly, but uh, so so I saw something yesterday that that Stranger Things got delayed because of all this the actor strike, or whatever writers guild strike, and um, and it said that the, it's not going to probably be released till twenty twenty five or twenty twenty six. And it said that all the actors, by the time it comes out, all the actors, or by the time they film it, they're all going to be between the ages of 21 and 26. And that fucking yeah. blew my mind. <laughs> that is weird, because they were like fucking tiny little kids. They were actual kids. The they were actual kids. But now they're going to be grown-ass fucking adults. They're snot-nosed little brats, and now they're yeah, grown-ass adults. Ew. Yeah, weird. But anyway, anyway, back to Rush. That anyway. was, we really went off on a tangent there. Yeah, this song. Are we talking about the lyrics now? Is that we're, yeah, the lyrics of, of Red Barchetta. Yeah, Barchetta. Barchetta. Yeah. So it, they're, they're cool. It, the song's about a car chase, but the song, <laughs> it, you know, Johnny Law versus the Red Barchetta. But it's also about like this dystopian future where technology is overpowering and and the need for for simplicity and and now against like the law, hence like the Barchetta. But the Bridget. way like Neil builds this world so so quickly, he builds these characters so quickly. Yeah. But he focuses so much on like the love affair with the car. I think it's just, I think it's unreal. I think it's fucking rad. And my favorite line in the entire like like album here is from this this song, and it's when he says the two words mechanical music, when he's referring to like the way the car sounds. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. Like, yeah I'm that not, was a good line. I'm not a car guy. Like, I don't know fucking dick about cars, but like that's just cool. Mechanical music. He's talking about shifting gears and. I can drive stick, yeah, but so like I'm a little bit, of, I'm a little bit of a car guy, I guess. I can drive stick, <laughs> but yeah. mechanical music. I just thought that was so rad. Like, damn man, like this is the drummer. This, this is coming from the drummer. I know, I know. And um, and so how it kind of differs from from the the short story is that it, it takes place more in like a the the future is a little bit different because the, in this in this in the song. He's being essentially chased by the cops, but the cops are are in this like what are called called air cars, and the only reason why and and apparently the the character goes out every week, takes his uncle's um, red barchetta, and he goes out on a on a on a joyride just to kind of run away from the cops, and then him and his uncle have a laugh about it that night, and so that's what it is, and then he he outruns them because he goes over a bridge that's too narrow for the for the air cars, the air patrol, whatever they are. And so that that's kind of like the gist of the, the the song, but in the actual story, the, the a nice morning drive. Did you read this the short story? No. So the the short story differs in that 
it, it does take place in the future and in the future cars are built differently and cars made because in the in in the short story it takes place in like 1984 or something like that and so and and the short story was written 1972 i believe so it takes place in 1984 and then it's set up to where like cars made after like 1975 or whatever are are banned because of like government regulations because the government's essentially taking over control of citizens and what they're allowed to do so it does have that dystopian thing um, going on but but apparently like driving like an old old style car it, it's not illegal but the way that they build current cars in this in this scenario in this timeline is that they try to they, they try to go and destroy the old cars like if they see you on the road they're gonna run you off the road and try to destroy your car or kill you or some shit like that so the story in the short story he's running away from or he's dri- trying to he's being chased by these two like modern cars that are trying to essentially kill him and he's just kind of avoiding them and like the way he describes like just outrunning them and just his his kind of feel of the car it was damn i wish you would have read the short story i wish you would have read it even it was, better that makes it, it better was so because cool. he's not he's not just ripping off the short story he's taking bits and pieces of what he liked and putting it into exactly. like a contemporary sense because this is you know 20 years later after that short story was written and there's a very orwellian thing right the 1984 classic i've read a couple books in my day okay <laughs> And that's a very Orwellian thing to think about. And I think that's cool that he took that and then made it his own. It's not about like a, a, a fight to the death. And who knows what that would have, in his story, who knows what, what would have happened if the cops did catch up to him and catch him. We don't know if he would have died or not. But based on like what he was saying in there and how he was laughing in the mechanical music and how in tune he was with the car, this was a joyride. This wasn't a, 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 an escape from death. This was just something he did just to kind of be a douchebag because he was like, yeah. I'm going to fucking do this. I know I'm not supposed to do it, but I'm going to do it. I know I can outrun you. So come and get me anyway. So kind of just, dude, James Dean, baby. Rebel without a cause. <laughs> just cool as a cucumber, baby boy. Cool as a cucumber. The the biggest difference, though, between Neil's version and the actual story is that in Neil's version, there's a happy ending where, um, where you know, he gets back to his uncle's house. No harm, no foul. Or, you know, he didn't get hurt or anything like that. Nothing was ruined. And they have a laugh about it, but in the short story, he is. And by the end of it, he's being chased by two different cars. They essentially run him off the road, but he ends up escaping. And then they end up hitting each other, you know, head on, and they end up killing each other, um, the people who are chasing him. But his car is so damaged that he never is able to restore it back to where it was supposed to be. So he kind of loses because of like essentially because of government interference and government control he's lost his own freedom in that he can never restore his car to the way it was. He can never go back to the way things were. And it's just, it, it's, it's a sadder, it's a sadder ending to the story because it's just, it's showing the constant beat down of the government on the people and on, on, on regulations and shit like that. And it's a very, it's a very kind of, they're definitely, the guy was definitely criticizing like, um, like environmentalists and shit like that and how government is, t- is taking too much control over the environment and what we can and can't do. And dude, this is like the early 70s this guy is bringing this shit up. And we're seeing all this shit now with like government overreach. I mean, not to say that we're we're great with it, like humans are great with the environment, but there is massive government overreach. And this guy was talking about in the early 70s when it comes to that kind of stuff. But I don't know. I just, I thought it was a really good short story a fairly short read it was only like three four pages so it was fun 
It was really fun. And, and Neil did a great job, you know, making his own version of it. And then reading about it too, they wanted to credit the guy, the Michael Foster guy, um, but they were never able to get a hold of him. They would try to call him. They would leave messages. He would never get back. So they didn't, they didn't officially credit him. They just said inspired by Michael F- or Richard Foster's story, a nice morning drive. And then Neil and this guy, Richard Foster eventually met like in 2007, I think it was, they met at like a motorcycle, like a motorcycle expo or something like that. So they eventually did meet, but like 25 years later. So I thought that was so cool. cool. Too. Neil's yeah. so red. Neil is, he Man. is so red. So red, but so tragic, too. Like a tragic life, but yeah. got an incredible musician. And just yeah. seemed like such a cool guy. We'll get into some of the lyrics on some of the other songs, but yeah, some of the lyrics, like the guy was not troubled, but he hated fame, which we'll get into later. But yeah. Anyway. Yep. Oh, yeah. Anyway. But, but. Red Barchetta, my number Barchetta. four. Barchetta. What's your 1B? I know it's, one, I know it's YYZ, but. Oh, one hundred percent it is. That is my go, favorite want, Rush song. Do you, you want to just do? Do you want to just do Limelight and then Tom Sawyer and then, and then end with YYZ? Yeah, let's do that. Let's go back. Let's do something a little bit different. Because that's my three B's. Limelight. Yeah, same here. And I assume yeah. YYZ is your number one. YYZ. Yeah, that's whatever. Not even a fucking. Yeah. Not even. A fucking, <laughs> yeah. It wasn't even close. All right. Um, well, let's see here. So yeah, what, what do you got on Limelight? Uh, I think this is Rush's best riff. Like, if you take a single riff from Rush, this is their best. This is it. This is their most iconic. I think it's it's simple, but it's a little bit it's a little bit nuanced, right? He's, we're not just hitting kind of like power chords. We're leading up to those power chords, and the lead up to the power chord is really what we're focusing on. That because you could just do you could do something like that yeah, that's true. but it's the lead up to that power chord is what fucking like we 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 hang on and it's simple but it's amazing and i love this i love that intro riff it's so amazing and i like that there's a lot of like little pauses in the riffage too right oh yeah i love these little pauses and that last little pause in the in the in the riff before we get kind of that like descending progression and the neil drives it all forward like super nicely he's not like hitting the bass drum on every note but it sounds like he is because you know a lot of toms and man it's just this fucking wall of sound that he's bringing at you like no it. you're right love it you're, i completely agree with you with the with the riffage and and on all that 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 main riff but something i want to bring up in the in the verses alex playing i really like it really like alex's playing with the heavier riff but he never does the full lead thing but then also the transition fills from, from Neil and then that little pop punk stop. I like to call it the pop punk stop where everything stops and he does that quick little, like the little Tom hits right there. It's yeah. fucking, it, that's pop punk right there. That's pop yeah. punk. No, it, is. it is pop punk one one And I fucking love it. And it weirdly, it gives the song like a really nice swing to it. Just having that, that, that stop. I, I, I that's my favorite part of the whole song are the pop punk stops through and through the best part. I but, like the reason yeah. why this is a, a three B and it's a three B because of everything else in spite of this. But I think the chorus is weak. I think the chorus is super weak. Like I appreciate the softer and calmer like chorus contrasted to the more aggressive verses, but I really think this chorus is fucking weak. Yeah, it's too it's too airy, it's too kind of ethereal. It doesn't everything else is too hard hitting. It's, it's too much of a drop. Yeah, it's too much of a the drop. The chorus is filler compared to yeah. like the banger of, of everything else. 
Yeah, and overall though, the, I mean, the song is really more of a, a straightforward rock song. It's not; they don't really church anything up too much. Neil does maybe a little bit, but everything is pretty pretty damn straightforward on this song. But it's done done really well. Dude, there's um, like three four parts here. Like there's like three like like Neil goes from these three four grooves like and then back into the four four groove. And again, like it starts and ends with that four four groove. And so you mm-hmm. never realize like he's going into other things. And and even like I don't realize it, just reading up on the song and then going into these different forms, be like, Oh, listen to this fucking part starting at two thirty eight or whatever it is. This is when they start like the three four groove and then, then it goes back into this. Like I never would have noticed because of how how seamless he plays the drums. And just because he's doing a 3-4 groove doesn't mean the other guys are doing 3-4 grooves. They're yeah. still going the 4-4 four, four thing, but they end at the same time. And I don't uh, I, I don't know too crazy. much about like musical theory like that, but like that's just that's fucking nuts. It's incredible. Man. Like, like I know 3-4 grooves as like a waltz or as like my name is Jonas. Like that's it. That's got to bring it back to got to bring it back to the Weezers, right? Dude, Weezer taught me three four grew or three four time signatures before anything else. <laughs> that, that's crazy too. Like just real, off real quick, yeah. like the first thing you ever fucking hear from Weezer is a three four groove. It's right? kind of weird. Their first yeah. album, yeah. first song, first album. Come on, yeah, it's a little, little odd, a little damn. odd. God damn, um, Weezer's good. Yeah, this guy, uh, this this guy over here saying fucking blue is not as good as. Uh, I'm not even gonna go into that. It's, it's gonna be mad. Oh, you want to talk about it? I mean, you brought it up. So, yeah. So what what you're referring to, people who don't listen to the pod often, um, Weezer's Blue is not as good as their album uh, Everything Everything Will Be All Right in the End. That is is the second best Weezer record. Everything Will Be All Right in the End. Pinker is obviously number one. That's just silly boy talk. Um, But yeah, Everything Will Be All Right in the End is is better than Blue. I love Blue, but it's not. But but it's better. It's it's not. It's really not. It is. That's okay. It is. You you and you and Shady need to take off your Weezer goggles, you know, open your mind a little bit, have some fun, have some fun for once, because I know you guys don't have a lot of fun. And just like then the you'll way come to Blue rotation. starts and the way Blue ends is better. It's great. It's fantastic. Blue starts everything off in between. with the waltz, and it ends with with the final note resolving everything. That's that's it. But everything in between is better on everything will be all right. Well, that's just, well, that's just the way she goes, boys. That's the way she goes. That's you're so wrong about that. I'm put, I'm gonna put that on the list too. Shit, you're so wrong about. <laughs> All right, okay. um, let's get into. Oh, oh, actually, um, I do want to talk about how I, at at two minutes and thirty five seconds, everything stops. The guitar kind of comes wailing in, and they all kind of start to build off of each other's part, and then. That that I just love how straightforward and solid that guitar solo is too. And just it's, how can they it's just bluesy stop? And then, it's psychedelic sounding. Yes. It's a solid solo, even though it's it's compared to like like Alex's normal solos and what he's capable of. This is like the opposite of what he should have been doing here. But I like mm-hmm. that he did this. I like that he 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 just he dumbed it down, took it back, took it back. And now, y'all. and Alex has said this is his favorite his favorite guitar solo he's ever written for the band. People or fans say that this is the the perfect the perfect Alex Lifeson guitar solo, which is like, come on, dude, come on. I, I, I get why it's, it's his favorite. It's his favorite because he can do so much to it. It's just basic mm-hmm. blueprints. It's like, it's like, it's like playing with, with, with a new group of guys and you're jamming and like, let's just, Hey, let's just do like a blues thing in a, here we go. 
Like, that's my favorite solo is a blues singing E. Like, yeah, because you can do fucking, there's limitless potential with that. I get it. That's yeah. this solo. This solo is so basic. It's so blues and E, so blues and A. It's just, there's a limitless potential of what he can do with it. That's why it's his favorite, because he can tweak it over the years and make it his own in the 80s and the 90s and the 2000s. So I get it. I get it. You get it. I get All right. It. Uh, so what do you have lyrically on this one? This is, uh, I mean, limelight, right? This is about living in the limelight, being a rock star, yeah. but also being an extreme introvert and not knowing how to deal with it. This is this song was kind of like my my least favorite lyrics uh, of all because I just yeah it was I I don't want to like like talk down to anybody that that feels the way they feel but mm-hmm. like bro you're in a fucking rock band x amount of albums deep and you're you're over here acting like you fucking don't want to be a rock star then don't be a rock star <laughs> just the fuck up also about it. when you have like all these poetic lyrics and and shit these stories that he writes and then you get something. Which is a little bit more vulnerable, obviously, or is more vulnerable, but it's just, it's kind of, it's pretty basic. Yeah, it is basic. It's, it's pretty basic. Yeah, just, uh, whatever. Dude, you're fucking know. eight albums deep, bro. Like, like, you tell me you don't like the limelight, eight albums deep. Like, what are you, new? Come on. Come on. Come on. Uh, um, Come on. And then, you know, I, I don't know anything about Shakespeare, but people say that the songs, the opening line of All the World's a Stage... Um, I guess that's the Shakespeare reference from one of his plays. So I guess it was the play As You Like It. Yeah. Yes. I don't know. I'm not a Shakespeare's man, so I don't oh. know. Oh. Well, I don't know that, dude. Oh. I'm not. Well, actually, I do know about that because I'm not. Um, all right. Do you have anything else on the song? Musically, nah. lyrically? Nah. We, 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 got two, we got two big, uh, two heavy hitters. Big piles of here. poop to shovel here. <laughs> all right. So Tom Sawyer, the <laughs> opening track, they're moist. They're, they're moist. Their most <laughs> popular song. <laughs> Pod talking, dude. It, that shit's hard. Um, so dumb. So, <laughs> so this song, uh, yes, their biggest hit. And one thing I, I want, I want to say here uh, up front: so much happens in this fucking in this short amount of time. This song is four minutes and thirty six seconds. It it's really astonishing does. how much they cram into the song, but nothing ever seems rushed. Get it? Rushed. Uh, um. And it's just, it's, it's just, it, this is absolutely a perfect song. The synth part is, yes, it's a little bit cheesy, but this is the only time where I felt like Getty actually nailed a melody on, on the synth, on the keyboard. Um, yeah, I agree. It's fucking great. It, it's, it, this it's is, great. This is the only time that his synth playing is acceptable. The only time. The only, yes. the only time he adds rather than just takes away. Because I, yeah. first of all, like, I love this intro. That oh yeah, like just that the, it's sound. so menacing. <laughs> like damn, that's aggressive. That's fucking cool, dude. Like the audience, like THX style, right? Like the audience is listening. Mm-hmm. Yes, I am listening. And the synth comes in like hard, but we don't get that. We don't get that until later, right? So let, yeah, it's let's much build later. first. Let's build first. Neil's got cool parts during that riffage of like the, the in the beginning. It's it's kind of cool. It's cute. Everything's happening. But man, when Getty drops that, that thing, it's, it's so just, out of left field. It's so out it's of left. Wow, field. that's fucking yeah. cool. That that's some mind blowing stuff, man. That's some mind blowing stuff, dude. That's oh, cool, that's man. True, dude. It's futuristic. And it's a little bit scary. It's adventurous. It's, and oh, he does so it good. so much. That that drop, that that initial synth drop that he does, he does it so goddamn much throughout the entire song. 
<laughs> it's 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 and until the point until you get to the solo, like that he's hitting it almost at every every fucking every fourth fourth bar he's hitting that fucking that drop. He yeah. does it so goddamn much. It's it's a it's a lot, but it never it never takes away from from the other from the other guys. The the music, the vocals, nothing. It's 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 sick, man. It's fucking cool. The song, dude. The um, song is just all about like build up and then and transitions and. Like oh, this, yeah. Neil's like this song, dude. This song is fucking proggy as fuck, and it's like ethos and and how it like presents itself as a song. Like this is yeah. prog at heart, and it's amazing. And and the, 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 then when we drop into the groove itself, like Getty leads yeah. it on the bass, that, 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 and then like Alex, oh Alex just gets to noodle for a minute until they actually like all get back into it, and then they it's already done, and they do something else. <laughs> My God. It's, My God. It's like a hyper version of every prog song they've ever done. It's, yeah. I, like I said, I can't believe how how much they they put into a four and a half minute song. It's on. It's fucking unreal. Um, also, Alex's the the main riff. Alex's riff, it's heavy, man. It, his, I it, I feel like it's so overlooked how heavy his actual riff is in this song because everything else outshines him. I mean, he's really. I hate saying it because he is an amazing guitar player, has some amazing riffs and parts, but he's the weakest part of the song, hands down. Yeah, hands down for the, sure. the weakest part, and that sucks because, dude, his his guitar playing is fucking amazing in this song. Um, also, he's lucky. just he's lucky he's the weakest part. <laughs> Honestly, lucky. you'd be lucky to have a guitarist this good and be the weakest part of the band, <laughs> right? It's like some Primus shit, you know. Every guy in Primus is phenomenal, amazing, but everybody just picks up on Les Claypool. They sleep on uh, on Lur and the on the drummers and the drummers. I was gonna say the drummers, not just Jaylene, but the, all the drummers. Um, and just Neil's Neil's drumming is just incredibly fucking tight, and he's he's hitting those drums so goddamn hard, especially when he, when he's doing like the closed hi hat. When he's doing like the sixteenth the sixteenth note on the hi hat. And then just slamming on the snare, and then, and then you know every I don't know I don't know every every fourth hit or whatever he's just slamming on the on the snare and the crash just so incredibly hard, immediately transitioning into the what what did you what is it called the the cascade? Yeah, is that, the, is that like a real term? That's what it sounds like. Okay, I don't know. So it's not like a, a real term; it's just what you're calling it. It's official now. Yeah, I mean, I do like it. It the cascading. It that's what it sounds like. It cascading tom yeah. rolls. Yeah, it really that, it's, right. It's like a, a great Guinness, way to like describe a Guinness it. cascades downward. Yeah, I think it's a great way it to describe it. Cascading um, tom rolls. So yeah, it's just how he just the intricacies of the of his playing in this song is just remarkable. And dude, you're eight. Dude, these guys are eight albums deep. Eight fucking albums deep, and they write a song like this, which is equally poppy. Equally as much poppy as it is, you know, proggy. It's it's truly a gem, truly a fucking gem, and they deserve every bit of recognition for this song because it's it's yes. a, it's just it's it's amazing. And for this song, yes. <laughs> and then um, getting into the that at like two minutes in the song that he's doing that that synth thing, and then it kind of like mo- I guess modulates. I guess it's the wisp- best way to or, or a way to describe it. Like it modulates out. And then he gets back on bass because I love in this song too, where you can hear him stop playing the bass and he's just fucking playing the keys and there's yeah. no fucking bass at all. And, but everything else is filling in the space. So you don't need the bass. But then when you hear that, that, that synth 
synth kind of go out and then you hear him hit that bass again it's like oh my god dude this is incredible because his his bass tone is so cutting in this it just it cuts through the mix so 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 well and then alex drops into that solo and neil neil and and getty just that the way they're so they're so locked in is is fucking amazing during that dude neil that in the solo, solo is like the best part of this entire album oh yeah Neil in this solo God, is he's just is, is unbelievable. He's accentuating Alex. He he is he is he picking is. up he's on using what Alex those, is those bells, down. man. The bell the but bell rides. Oh my God! So, so, but he's also like carrying the song forward by himself without being flashing and whatever, mm-hmm. and he's letting Alex breathe. But he's also like pairing up with Getty and still making sure that like him and Get, like the, like the rhythm section is in sync. So he's doing like three parts, right? He's playing his own kind of like little solo in the background. He's making sure Alex looks great, and he's also like pairing himself with Getty, and it's just like I, dude, I, I, I really, I watched like a lot of videos where it broke down the solo, and it was just like, like Neil on the drum part and solo, like the isolated drum parts, and it's just, it's like, God damn, dude, you're so fucking busy, you're doing so many different <laughs> things, yeah, and all the, like the whole time he's just, he's just kind of like smiling, kind of like looking around, like he's like hungry for a cheeseburger or something. He just doesn't. <laughs> I don't know. Oh, fuck. It's flawless. Yeah, it really, really, really is. Uh, and then le- leading out of that solo, um, that's when you get like the famous, where everybody tries, everybody air drums the the cascading on, on the on the toms and everything. <laughs> it's just, it's so fun. It's just such an incredible, incredible way to to wrap up that that solo and that bridge and that that climax of the song because really the song is like it is like a story because you have you just have that that build up this the the musical story of it and it just it 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 really climaxes with the solo and then neil doing the crazy fucking drum shit and then it just drops right back into the verse just right back into it the heavy hitting closed hi-hat hard ass snare hits and getty singing it just it's 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 fucking incredible it's incredible. Dude, and then we, and then like you talk like like just influence on Primus, like Getty's yeah. vocals here, like that is dude, that's Primus, that's mm-hmm. the way the the mean mean bride, like even though it's not as aggressively goofy <laughs> yeah. as Les, like dude, that's Les Claypool right there. Isn't it weird how that's like it. how how Les Claypool is so much goofier from vocal wise, but he it's so much more acceptable than than Getty Lee. Like he's so much more interesting than Getty. I. I get annoyed by by Getty's vocals, but yeah, Les Claypool, much I could listen song, to, except for this one. Yeah, but Les Claypool, I could listen to him sing All and day. talk and do shit for hours. Because but he Getty doesn't Lee, pretend they, not know. to be goofy. Yeah. And like even the, uh, the style true. is not goofy; it's just quirky. It's, you know, goofy's the, the wrong the wrong word. It's it's quirky. Getty and Rush itself, are, you know, they're not a, a goofy band. They're they're a zero serious fun. band and yeah, they, zero exactly, fun. zero fun. But man, dude, like the, the again, like the mean, mean pride. Today's Tom Sawyer, mean, mean pride. That's fucking Les Claypool all day. All yeah. day. <laughs> you're right. You're right. Uh, oh, man. Silly what boys. a great song. And then some, uh, so re- going back to the solo a little bit too, which I, I thought was was cool. Um, so Alex Lifeson talked about, break, he broke down the solo and he said it, this one was done in five five different takes. And he said, like, after the first two, he was just, like, over it. And he said usually, like, the first first two takes are his best ones. And that's usually what 
what's taken then chopped up into what you eventually hear on the record. But he said in this song, all there were parts from all five takes that were used in the solo, all chopped up. And I guess I apparently I it made it a little bit easier for them on this record because they actually recorded this record digitally, which is crazy. In nineteen eighty one they recorded this shit digitally. Um or nineteen eighty I think it was actually recorded in nineteen eighty, but then released yeah. in eighty one. But nineteen eighty you're using fucking computers and shit to record this. Um and, and what they were doing what they were doing Brian to record Wilson this was record doing it years prior to that. Well, I know, but I mean Brian Wills that's 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 entirely different. For a band like Rush, it just it's they're too complex of a band, I feel, to do something I don't know. I don't I don't know what I'm trying to get at. But I just thought it was cool the way they recorded it and how they were able how they just like spliced together all these 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 parts from the guitar solo into one one cohesive thing that we hear on the rec on the final product. Um and then also this is the first time that I think it was the first time that he Getty had used something outside of his Rickenbacker uh, to record, he used a, a jazz master he found at some like fucking pawn, random pawn shop that he bought, and uh, and recorded the song on a on a jazz master. So, I thought that was pretty cool too. So I've always I'm off. not always, but like I I noticed that that Getty plays the bass a little bit weird too. Like like way? I see a lot of like bass players with their thumb on like the on, on the pickup or the thumb on like the the, the thumb rest, and kind of like elbow their right elbow like outward and their fingers kind of like spidery to where they're plucking things. You can see like their fingers moving where Getty's kind of got like his right elbow tucked in to like his side. Yeah, and I, as I'm, as I'm saying this, I'm doing all of these motions too. I, I was literally doing it. Too. <laughs> <laughs> my elbow so was literally stupid. on like, Oh yeah, you're kind of right. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, but I like, I don't, that. I don't like sleep on my elbow and like I jerk my elbow in, you know, like as if any fucking person is watching me do this right now. <laughs> And then like his his the, the the left part of his right thumb pad is like resting almost on like the on the E string and then he's plucking and then sometimes like I almost see him like hit that E string that fat E string with the left part of his right thumb pad and he's doing other things. So I don't know. It's just it's a weird way to play guitar. And I think that's why I'm mean, not the guitar, the bass. So that, I think that's why it sounds like he's playing it sounds like he's playing the guitar. Yeah, because it, every note you hear and no notes like kind of bleed together with each other to where it's like to like Steve Ayers like triplets and shit. It's like you hear every single fucking note that he plays because he's deadening the strings or the string after he hits that after said note. Oh, okay, yeah. That's the best way I can describe it. I don't know. Like no, if, you, if you if you watch him play, he, he like everything's just close to the chest. Everything's super close. He's not like you know, like the fucking Rob Trujillo down low. He's not. Like Steve Harris, like like outward hitting those triplets with his fucking fingers, like extended inwards. It's it's weird. It's weird. I never, I've never paid that much attention to his to the way he plays, but now I want to. Now I want to go check it out. Did you see too? Like they, so they record most. They were they've recorded most of their records up in Canada, and this one is is one of those records. And they recorded it uh, in November and December of of nineteen eighty. You know. M- in the snow, you know, super like it was like forty below zero up in Canada, kind of a like rural part of Canada too as well, right outside of Ontario or in Ontario. I don't even know how the, all the provinces work and cities work up there, but anyway, no middle of fucking anyway. nowhere. Yeah. And I, Alex Lifeson said like it was just kind of it wasn't miserable working there, but it was just so goddamn cold that 
just they they couldn't go outside. They couldn't. They, they were very limited in what they could do outside of making music because it was so goddamn cold. And then I was watching, I guess, the music videos for the songs on here for like Tom Sawyer and Limelight, and they recorded the videos at the studio. And it was like, dude, this is this is beautiful. <laughs> like, because yeah. behind Neil was like just this giant fucking window. It was enormous, and it was just like the forest, the snowy forest, and it was snow. It was just. It looked fucking rad. It looked so goddamn cool. Can you imagine in the middle of winter recording or writing a record? I don't know. I just, I just the whole atmosphere and the look of, of that was so, so rad. There's, there's a lot of people. There's like a lot of people that live in Arizona that are transplants from Chicago. Yeah. And I always think like, like why the fuck would you leave like Chicago dude and come to Arizona? Like, Oh, because it snows too much. Like dude, the snow's fucking rad. It's so cool. And then they start showing me pictures and they start telling me about their day-to-day life. And after just hearing how horrible snow and cold can be, I, uh, I understand why people that <laughs> grew up in it and live in it fucking hate it. I get it. I get it. It looked beautiful to us because, you know, Southern, Southern California, dude. Because I'm sitting on my couch when it's Ex- 90 degrees out here. Fucking, yeah. yeah, exactly. Dude, like, <laughs> it's just fuck that shit. Fuck that shit. I would never live <laughs> in a place where it snows I, like I was, that. I was literally today. I watched these videos. I was sitting in my air conditioned living room watching TV <laughs> when it was ninety degrees outside, thinking, "Oh my god, dude! I love it. It's so fucking cool. Oh my god, such a fucking idiot, such a cuck." Yeah. Well, it's um, just, it's it's regional again. Regional. It is. Yeah, it is. It's not my fault. I was fucking born in Southern California. Blame. Don't hate the player. Hate the game. Okay. Oh. So, do you have anything else on um, on the music, or do you want to jump into the lyrics? Oh. Nope, that's good for the music. They can give them the lyrics. All right. So I don't have too much on the lyrics here. What what, what do you got? I got lots. I got lots and lots and lots. lots. Obviously inspired by the Mark Twain, Tom Sawyer, right? Yeah. Um, but also taken from an early poem given to Neil by a guy named Pai Dubois. Dubois? Did a lot of Dubois. stuff with Rush. Or did a lot of stuff with Neil. Dubois. Dubois. Pai had it called uh, Louis the Warrior. Um, but the song is really just about like fearless individualism, super solid lyrics, um, a strong, a strong willed, strong spirited, but still, still cognizant of the world around him. Mm-hmm. This is the, I don't know, this, I think this is a beautifully written song. It tells a story as well. gives us like a very clear picture of who this Tom Sawyer character actually is. Not like the titular character from the Twain books. Um, Tom Sawyer it's just this version of Tom Sawyer or the Louis the warrior person I love that I love that Tom Sawyer here is is also a reflection on Neil himself some type of introspective approach to aging and in life and music right eight albums deep here but but Tom Sawyer knows that change isn't always for the best or even permanent but change is like change is inevitable it's the only constant and that um, you know that that stuff and that's that that phrasing the the only thing what is it the only constant thing is change or some shit like that Greek philosopher I, I can look it up too Hera <laughs> it up, what's the fucking remember. Heraclitus uh, or some shit like that he said the only thing that's constant is change or something like that and and how he he parallels a river as constantly moving and changing and adapting and equating it to the human condition um, and the song kind of does the same. And I like that because the iconic imagery of Tom Sawyer and his his boy Huck Finn floating like aimlessly down a river, 
like right that's just that's them just like floating aimlessly down a river just yeah. whatever nothing's going on but they're discovering more about themselves as the river pushes them through right so the river representing time and and them talking and being on that and seeing that the world around them evolve and change but they're also changing with it i think it's dude i think it's fucking brilliant that's fucking solid this, man i think this is some of the coolest lyrics i that we have done on the fucking pod in in many many moons yeah i think this I, dude there's I think some amazing lyrics on here I don't know. I, I I'm I'm at a loss for more words. I, I I think I think everything he did here, dude. Neil Neil knew his shit. Neil knew his shit. He knew what he was doing, but he was also just very. I don't want to say shy about it, but very very reserved. He it wasn't like he was like feeding it down your or shoving it down your throat. It was like this is what I like. This is how I like to read books. Mm-hmm. These are the authors that I like. Here is how I take from that and then putting into my experience. And I love, I love, dude, I love Tom Sawyer. I, I love this song. I love these lyrics. I think these lyrics mm-hmm. are phenomenal. I think they're some of the best, I think they're some of the best rock lyrics ever ever written. They're fantastic. And, and kind of going off of what you're saying too, you know, it, it, the individualism, it's, it's him kind of rebelling against society and the status quo and everything like that. Um, and, and just having a different view on, on life and what you believe in and, you know, it, there's even a point where he talks about being arrogant, you know, uh, and and how people who do follow the status quo and don't want to learn more, they don't want to be have their own ideals and, and beliefs and things like that. They think people who who think differently from them are arrogant. They they the the fear of 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 change, like you said, the fear of change makes people. I don't know. The fear of change makes people lash out they makes them you know ostracize people in society or or just things in general and that's that's kind of how i feel that that's what that's what neil's trying to convey here he's feeling ostracized ostracized from society and he's trying to explain like okay this is actually this is actually how i feel i'm not being a jerk i'm not being arrogant i'm not being a dick about it and i don't know i I feel like it's just it all kind of ties in together if that i don't know if that makes any fucking sense I, I I just I, I like I like how like dorky Neil is like when he writes lyrics yeah. I just like how dorky he is he's just dude he's like a fucking high school or like 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 undergrad kid from in college he's just he's a fucking dork he's a guy he's a guy that just likes to read Kurt Vonnegut and shit and sit under a tree and and write these lyrics but he's like the <laughs> best drummer of all time so like you know what I mean I like how the fuck <laughs> does like the two things even coincide with each other. And then getting into more of, of, of like the introspective stuff and then and vital signs, we didn't really talk about the lyrics, but like just going back to it a little bit, I don't like the song at all, but like I read someone's take on, on vital signs as, as the song's not necessarily about like not conforming to societal norms, but it's more questioning the norms itself, which lead us to be individuals. Like mm. we get our individualistic personalities because we question societal norms yeah, and depending yeah. on which societal norms we question determines on what type of individual we will become or the individual that shape us to be. And, and I don't know, that's, that's cool. That's some deep shit, dude. That's some, that's some, I don't know, eclectic stuff to think about. And this, yeah, this Tom right. Sawyer thing. And, and, and I don't read a lot of books, but I, <laughs> no, I, 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 I read a lot of poems 
and and there there are poems that incorporate the Tom Sawyer thing into it. I I like just like the whole river thing. I thought it was just fucking brilliant, man. That's I just so, thought that that's was absolutely rad. brilliant. Like Tom and Huck just floating down a river, not realizing that they're they're growing up as the river pushes them through everything, and it's just that makes me want to read more. I'm not going to, but it makes you want to read more. <laughs> it makes me want to. <laughs> I'm not going to, but it makes me want to. <laughs> <laughs> all right, all right, all right. Do we have anything else so, on uh, on Tom Sawyer? No, that's it. Okay, so let's get into. Our number one B, our, our number one banger, the best song on the record, my favorite Rush song, YYZ or YYZ, however you want to say it. I don't care. YYZ. Um, this is an instrumental track. Uh, this is just incredible. So what, do you, what, are your, what are your initial thoughts, I guess, on this, on this song? Uh, so right off the bat, right, we're getting that 5-4 that time here or 10-8 or, or mm-hmm. if we don't want to reduce to fractions. Um, <laughs> And and it's it's the the ding 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 whatever the fuck it is and he's yeah. he's and I recently found out recently I recently found out recently that was redundant and stupid yeah, very I redundant. found out recently that he's Morse coding the 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 Y Y Z it's or Y Y Z that's what he's Morse coding the letters Y Y Z I think that's why I call it Y Y Z because he's Morse coding Y Y Z not Y Y Z there's no fucking W X Y N Z now why no nobody says that. Stupid, but these Moors coding that, dude. What come on, fuck? that's fucking a lot of thoughts all at once. A lot. That's very. That was that was. What wow, he's was doing here manic. is pretentious Man. and and cocky and fucking obnoxious. But it's only for the Yeds. It's only for the true Yeds. Yeah. He's not. He's not telling everybody he's cocky. He just sounds like a cool groove. And it, it's a fucking, fucking groove. Recently, I thought it was just a cool groove. I didn't know <laughs> there was a deeper deeper meaning to that killer groove. I did, yeah, I, I didn't like know that. until a few years ago that that was actually Morse code for YYZ, and then YYZ is the is like the 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 aviation code or something for Toronto International Airport. Where, yeah. where maybe I'm saying that wrong, but you know, like LAX, Toronto, JFK, you, you yeah. know, every every airport has its own little little abbreviation or whatever, and that's what Toronto International Airport is is YYZ, uh, you know which why is very close it's to YYZ. I don't know. Yeah, I, I didn't look into that. Why is a YYZ? So like LAX, it makes sense, right? Los Angeles yeah. International Airport, the X, and then you have like Phoenix. It's PHX. PHX, yeah. Uh, the reason for Toronto Pearson Airport being YYZ um, is just is random. It's a what? completely random assignment of letters. <laughs> means fucking absolutely nothing. But <laughs> but since like this song. Like YYZ has become like part of Toronto's identity. And then now that I like think about it and then thought about it this past week, whenever like the Toronto Raptors would play, like you see a lot of fans wearing like YYZ stuff on like armbands or t-shirts or, or other like like paraphernalia. And it's become part of like their culture. And that's, I never noticed that's that. That's fucking awesome. You'll notice it now though. Watch. If they, yeah, and probably will. Sports team you watch from Toronto, you'll see. You'll see fans with like YYZ in, in various capacities and paraphernalia. And I think that's fucking absolutely amazing. Immortalized really cool. by this Rust song. That doesn't even have <laughs> so words sick. to it. It's so cool. Oh man, that's it's so Canadians. fucking rad. And okay, so so really the song starts with, with Neil hitting those like bike bells. I mean he's playing like he's playing a um a drum machine or a trigger. He's hitting a trigger, whatever you want to call it. Um sample but yeah no it's the bike bells and then all of a sudden out of nowhere it just drops into the 
you know, Getty, Alex, and and uh, and Neil just dropping into that that groove, that beat, and it's so goddamn hard. But then over over all of that is just this like this menacing sounding, doom sounding synth, just note being rung out or ring out or like, yeah, rung out. Yeah, it's just it's so menacing. It's so like evil sounding. I I, I just love it with the the chaos. The precise chaos, I guess you could say, of of the other, of everybody else just kind of hitting so goddamn hard. Um, it's just it's just incredible. The note matching between Getty and Alex is fucking awesome too. Um, I don't know. This is just an incredible solo, and it, it is. It's like under. It's like five minutes long. It's yeah. short, but it encompasses so much. It's yeah, it incredible. doesn't need to be. Doesn't need to be longer than it, than it, than it has to be. Yeah, it doesn't overstate. Welcome, and honestly, this could have been a twenty-minute song. They could have oh, expanded for on sure. so many of these parts. There's no but reason they, why it could not have been that. But like Tom Sawyer, they they condense this this incredible prog song into fi- into five minutes. It's remarkable. It's fucking remarkable. Um, and then at, at at you know the well like when I was saying the note matching, that's like kind of how the song starts between Getty and and Alex. And then at a minute and ten, it drops into this like solo lead thing with Alex and then Getty's just like doing the slap kind of bass thing it's it's insanity it's fucking insanity it's like it's some like flea shit flea, like flea shit you'd hear in the like pretty much all through the Red Hot Chili Peppers career but it's just you you never really hear Getty play like that until this or really only in this song you hear that kind of slap playing it's it's fucking wild and then you go into that 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 really heavily distorted funk thing that Alex does like a minute and a half in, and then they do that back and forth. No, no, no. The wait, I'm, I'm not even trying. Well, it's, it's yeah. still like the the intro part, but then it's, it's like still the, the intro. But but yeah, it's still it still has that that funk that funk beat to it, and then they do this. Alex and Getty do that back and forth. No, not that part. Well, yeah, that's that's the back and forth. Oh, fuck, dude, I'm all over the place. This yeah. song. No, it's it's, it's there's, just there's it's, so much in this. Like I said, there's so much in so little time. It's it's almost hard. There to There is a apart. lot of melody here. I I, I like I, this. So the song starts out with like Neil and Alex note matching, and then Getty just making ambient noises noises that we just talked about. But then like like Getty comes in on the bass for that one bar, and then mm-hmm. we drop into like the fucking most rad groove that they've ever done. Yeah, and this is like this is topping like Caress of Steel, and, and this is the coolest groove that they've ever done. And you can hear like Getty hit every single individual note on the bass. Like he's not smooth. He's not smooth. Like a, a guitarist would blend notes together with hammers or slides, but Getty kind of has like his own, like it's almost like a jerky smoothness, you know, like there's yeah. something jerky about the way he plays, but because like, like every note is fucking jerky. It's a little bit smooth. And then like Alex throws in those little like offbeat chords that like you know for the next couple bars and then goes back into grooving and it's just like everything is just fucking amazing all while like Neil is just like who, like who do you only do accent to? like like Alex on the offbeats like I'll accent you I'll make sure that I, I put more emphasis on the backbeat here that way it sounds cool for you and with Getty I'll make sure that like I'm note matching you that way it drives like your baseline forward and the Neil does it all which is two fucking hands I know he, it's amazing. It's 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 amazing how many how many drums Neil actually hits in this song. 
Like there, there, he hits every fucking. It sounds like he hits every fucking Tom in his kit, which is remarkable because his kit is enormous. Um, and and just the groove. It's it's really the groove. How well they all groove and how incredibly tight it still is. It's 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 un it's unreal. It's absolutely unreal. I I can I I feel like we can't even do this song justice talking about it because it's so wild and out of control. Yeah, much like what you were saying on Caress of Steel, a lot of that shit is is insane. It, especially at that time, it's fucking insane, and um, and that's how this song is. It's 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 relentless. Here's it really, here's really is. here's like what I think this song is. This is like for people that like Joe Satriani or like Steve Vai and that type of like stuff. Like yeah. this is this is like this is it. That 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 genre of music that scene would not exist without like this song. This song paved the way for that 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 sound like mm-hmm. this sounds like a fucking steve i song that's I mean, what it sounds yeah. like yeah you're you're not wrong and then like alex does this fucking like middle eastern type riffage too that during that solo it, i guess you would call dude, it like, what the hell solo. is that <laughs> yeah it comes out of nowhere and then what on the top of that, that? <laughs> on top of that you know, Getty's just fucking ripping it up, just going out of fucking control. And then out of nowhere, there's glass breaking. Why is there glass breaking? Yeah, I don't know. Why is there glass breaking? What I is have that? no idea. <laughs> it's it's absolute insanity. It happens like what three or four times. All of a sudden, it's like it's just glass breaking. Like it's, like they're dropping a cup or they're throwing a cup on the ground or something. A glass cup. Man, it's, dude, it's this, insane, this song man. just builds and builds and then drops back into that original groove. Man, this song is just. This but can we talk about else. two? So that so that solo, the glass breaking, all that yeah. that kind of shit. It's only thirty seconds. You get all this crazy nutty shit in thirty seconds, and then at two two minutes and fifty one seconds, everything drops completely into this like ethereal synth, big huge soundscape thing, for maybe ten seconds or something like it's that. Brief, super. And then brief. it just and then it just drops back into that main riff. It's yeah, incredible. It shouldn't make it shouldn't want. make any it's sense. So perfect. Like if you were to if yes. you were to throw if you were to throw like that part into a yes song, that whole ethereal big soundscape thing would have been like three four minutes. Like Rick Wakeman would have just like done this beautiful soundscape thing in three four minutes, but here you get twenty seconds of it and it just drops it back into the heavy riff. It's dude, it's incredible. It's fucking amazing. I just I I, I really just can't believe. That like one of their best songs, and then I, dude, this is like why was he's why was top three rush song without even it's their best song hands down. I, I'm not gonna disagree that it's not their best song. It's goddamn, it's fucking good. I just cannot believe it's four and a half minutes long. <laughs> I know, <laughs> like you guys, like really in the fucking the next song or uh, the first song on side two, the camera eye, like that's a ten, that's eleven minute song. Yeah, and it Why doesn't. Why did you make YYZ an eleven-minute song? I know they could have easily done it, but then maybe we wouldn't have loved it as much if if it was longer. I don't. Gosh, who knows? I want, who I want knows? more. I need more. So today I watched I watched them play this through all the decades in the eighties, nineties, and two thousands. I watched them play. I watched live videos of them playing this every single time. It was flawless, absolutely flawless. And you can tell because I, 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 I didn't watch like through the decades, but I watched them play this numerous times. 
and like they love this song, dude. They love fucking oh, playing yeah. this song. They're all smiling. Getty's fucking looks at Neil. Neil looks at Alex, and Alex looks at Getty, and they're all smirking. They're all goofing off, and like Getty's got you know they all got their tight pants on. And Getty's got super tight <laughs> pants on. He always why he's always tucking in his shirt too. He's always tucking in his shirt. I know he always tucks his shirt in. That's true. But yeah. they're always they're always having a blast. Like, my God, See, if I wrote this man. song, I would fucking just. I don't know. I probably kill you myself. Can't, you can't get nothing better. else I could possibly like do better in my life. This is it? And after this song, they never did anything, even remotely as good as this song. I mean, Moving Pictures was really the last great record they did. There's nothing I mean, that ma- that even comes close to the songs on this record. Moving Pictures is the last good record they did. Yes, YYZ is for sure the last great thing they did. Yes, one hundred percent, one hundred percent. Yeah. It's fucking insane. Wow. Insane. It is. It's crazy. Wow. 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 Yeah. That was annoying, dude. Um, and uh, I don't know what I was going to say. I totally and forgot what I was going to say. I want to talk about Neil's drum set, too. How over the years, you just see it grow and grow and grow. And watching the the video for um, the video, I you know, put that in, in scare quotes. But um, the video for for Tom Sawyer when they're playing in this in the studio, at the the, the studio up in in Canada, he's playing on a very conservative small kit. I mean, it's like maybe a six piece, seven piece kit with three four cymbals, like very very small for him. And then you watch him like play like actual con, and he and he kills Tom Sawyer. He just absolutely fucking nails it. And then you watch actual the actual shows in the in the early eighties on this Moving Pictures tour. And his kit literally surrounds him. Yeah. He could swivel, he could turn around in his chair and still be playing drums, do a complete 360 and play drums the entire time. His kit, people always talk about it. Like him and Frank, not Frank Zab, him and Terry Bozio have arguably the most interesting, craziest kits out of any popular drummer, without a fucking doubt. And they utilized every single goddamn drum. It's, it's, it's wild. Absolutely wild. Pretty, pretty good. Um, I don't know, man. I guess we can. Are we good with with this song? Uh, yeah. I got nothing okay, else. I mean, I'm gonna throw yeah, my notes I, here. Boop, 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 boop. Yeah, nothing really I else. I mean, I guess else, actually, we could touch upon the artwork real quick. The artwork was kind of cool. It was um, you know, it has different interpretations depending on what you're kind of okay. looking at, which I thought was cool. Actually, the artwork is pretty rad. The the concept the triple it, entendre. Yeah. Yeah, eh, the concept is really cool. Stupid artwork. I don't care. The concept was cool. The way it was presented was a little cheesy. But I did like that. I was reading like a f- couple years after this album came out, they actually revealed the... Because on, on the back cover, it's a film crew um, filming the actual main album art, album cover. And people for a couple years didn't even know that it was an actual video and it was just a still from the video. And then while they were... Whatever tour it was... They they actually played the actual video of them taking the or vi- filming the um the whole process of the album artwork, which yeah, I thought that was kind of cool, right? Kind of like a it's, it was it was it's cool. interesting. It's interesting. It was cool. It was cool. I don't think this I, I don't think this out al- this album artwork is cool. I don't think it's great. I think it's eh, it's fine. I think the the concept of moving pictures is it's a very prog thing. Like oh you know it means moving pictures physically means 
they're moving pictures like emotionally and I'm crying and moving pictures or directing film. I don't fucking care. It's dumb. It's ugly. It's stupid. It's silly. Don't care. Like I said, no I like fucking, the concept. It's no fly by night. It's that's what I was gonna say. It's no fly by night. <laughs> it's no. It's no twenty one twelve. Definitely, not one of those two. Love love me some fly by night artwork. The best. But uh, yeah. Anyway, let's uh, let's wrap it up. Let's give our final thoughts on this record, and rate it based off of our world famous three point rating system, where three is a perfect album, two is a good album you're gonna continue to listen to, one is a bad album, give it a shot, and zero is the worst thing you've ever heard. So what do you got? Go. Go. Oh. I I uh, I don't know I. I still think Rush is just overall because of all the things that they've done, all 19 albums. Like Rush is just overall not that great of a band, guys. They're just not. They've got a handful of albums that are that are good, and they've got an even smaller handful of albums that are great. They do uh, they do a couple things really pretty pretty good, and this is their most popular. And and this 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 album's not that great. It's got three songs that are bangers. It's got one that is that is arguably their best. I would not argue against it. But um dude, this band, I don't know. This band's just This band's kinda boring sometimes. A lot of the times. <laughs> After this, they get really boring. They get really boring. boring, yeah. Yeah. They're fucking just boring. But it's like it's, it's like Neil Young. You know, we're only gonna really rate Neil Young on his seventies records. Come on, really? We're not going to say anything post, you know, 1980, 1981 really is that great. That's it's the same thing. That's a tough comparison because he, I mean, Neil, realistically, Neil Young did kind of the same thing fucking over and over and over and over. Exactly. These guys so did really progress and do, do things new and, and, and try to branch out and, and become a different band. And they have changed over the years. And, and, and Neil Peart, like, fucking has vastly changed over the years. More than, than Getty and Alex, for sure. Alex has changed the least. At least Getty tried to. And what I really hate, too, is I really hate that, like, watching live videos and Getty's, like, you know, sla- slapping the bass. <laughs> that was also from I Love You, Man. I Love You, Man. It's so good. It's a good movie. It's a great movie, but that is so overdone. It's, I... But like it is so, it's so it, it it's is too, it's too it is overdone. Now. It is overdone, but it is it's vastly appropriate for tonight's episode. It had to have come up at least one time. I, I I'm surprised know, it took this long. Had to it had to. But like what bothers me is when Getty's like hitting the bass and like going at it and then like puts his hands down and just like sucks balls at playing the fucking keyboards. <laughs> I'm like, what are you doing? Like, why are you doing that? And then because he sucks so hard at playing the keyboards, like he even has like pedals. You can see his feet moving, and so he's just hitting like loops. And so like he sucks so bad that he can't even like just keep like the fucking rhythm going on the keyboard. He has to hit like a loop, and then like do like a little lead part on the key. God, he's so terrible at the keys. At keys. At the keyboard. At keys. Yeah. yeah. Oh, it's so annoying. Um, anyway, this album's a two. Two at best. Like this is that's what this album is, and it's only a two because of YYZ. You take YYZ out. I mean that's a I'm 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 hoping it's a two because of Tom Sawyer. Limelight, it's a great it's a great song, but it's a riff. I think Limelight is a riff. Tom Sawyer's perfect. YYZ is a fucking historic beyond banger. But this album's a two. It's really not that great. Second half is, is pretty is pretty mediocre. Red Barquetta is is a great Bar-Ketta. lyric song, but like the song's not very good. And this is like their this like this is what sold the most. This is what made them 
you know, hey, gods look among at, rock? Really? Look at Foo Fighters. Plain old people vanilla. That's what people love. But Rush they isn't plain old people look vanilla. At, but look, and Foo also look at Caress of Steel. Vanilla since day one. Look at Caress of Steel, how that's been shit on by Rush fans. Don't, don't. Why would you even bring Foo Fighters into the conversation with Rush? See, like, if I did this, you would be all mad. Oh, you can't fucking compare. So I'm not going to do that. <laughs> I'm not going to do that. It's just going to be mad. So, yeah, I, 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 a lot of thoughts I just threw out here in like five minutes. How That's long I've been talking. Um, this That's album's fine. a two, dude. It really is. It's, it's not, it's just not great by any stretch of the imagination. And it's only, we're, we only did it because of YYZ. Even if it was like the most popular, if YYZ wasn't on this, we probably wouldn't have done this because I'm not going to sit through well, this fucking album and only listen to two. Sorry, I'll listen to one good song and one song that is good because I really, really like that riff. <laughs> All right. All right. So you gave it a two out of three. Um, you know, I, I agree with you. I think this is an overrated record. I think it's the second half for sure is is lackluster. But, you know, Tom Sawyer and YYZ make up for it. Limelight is great, but it's it's still more of a it's still more of a straightforward a rock song. It's a riff. Yeah, it's a riff. Yeah, okay, you're right, you're right. But it really is those two songs. And that's really why the only reason why I'm going to keep this on vinyl is for those two songs. Oh or the first God. half, really. Just for the first half. Um, I'm going to keep it on the vinyl. I do I do like that part of the record. Uh, it's it's just, it is weak. In, and it is, it's vanilla rush. It's vanilla rush. It's not bad rush, but it's vanilla rush. And uh, yeah, there's just so many better records. And one of the, I mean, a couple of the reasons why, why we did moving pictures this week was because yeah, it is their most popular. And also this gives us free range to do more rush records in the future to do caress of steel, to do 2112, you know, farewell to Kings, hemisphere, whatever it may be, you know, we could do more rush, but I, I feel like us doing moving pictures was a good start. And then in the end we could, you know, take a deep, deep, deep dive into the proggier stuff of rush. So this is just an introdu- introduction to the to, to us and Rush on the podcast. And with all that, after all this talking about the band and, and all 19 of their records, I will also give this a two out of three. It's good only because of Tom Sawyer, uh, YYZ, and a little bit of Limelight. Really, that's why. And then the lyrics in Red Barchetta. But that's it. That's it. I will say, too, that Neil... I think Neil's my favorite drummer of all time now. Oh my God, I that's, do. I that's it, it's, those are it's words. the lyrics too. Like Neil has 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 inspired me to like get back into reading. Like the only thing I ever really read is 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 like poetry and and like plays. Like those mm-hmm. are the only things I ever really like sat down and actually. I'd never read books. I just like poetry and plays. And this like this week's these lyrics have inspired me to read more poetry. That's good though. Go read that short story too. You I know will. that was. That red barchetta was put on my list. Put on my list. It's 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 you, you could read it in five ten minutes. It's quick. It's just a short story. Super quick. So go go read it. Everybody out there, go read it. I'm gonna buy a fucking but, Walt Whitman book right now. <laughs> okay, go do that, dude. Walt. All right. So do we have anything else on this? We good? User. All right. Well, thank you all for listening. Go to Spotify, Apple Podcasts. Give us five stars. Thanks for listening. Tell your friends. And that's it. That's all. Oh, Did you see Moss Eisley?